0: This is Entrepreneurs Exposed. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is sponsored by RBC for Canada's on-the-go entrepreneurs. RBC has just launched its latest solution to help make managing and running a business that much easier. Through RBC's remote account open experience, Canadian business owners can now open an RBC deposit account from anywhere at any time, ensuring you can spend less time on administrative tasks and more on what really matters, growing your business. To open an RBC deposit account remotely or learn more about solutions that go beyond banking to support your business, call your RBC advisor or contact the advice center at 1-800-ROYAL-20. This episode is brought to you by Bruce. If you're working from home and have canceled all your in-person stuff lately as a result of this COVID thing, it might have also dodged your dentist appointment. Thankfully, Bruce has taken care of your oral hygiene through their state-of-the-art electric toothbrush subscription shipped direct to your door. Bruch was developed in collaboration with dentists to ensure an amazing clean every time. Ultra soft bristles, six cleaning modes, sonic wave technology. It is the cleanest my teeth have felt since I left the dentist, which was about a year ago. Anyway, for more info on Bruch and to give your teeth the best hygiene they've seen in a year, Go to Bruce.com. that's B-R-U-U-S-H.com. And don't forget to use the code E215, that's E215, for 15% off. Since you're listening to this, you're probably not too surprised to know that podcasting is growing across the board. There are now over a million active podcasts on Spotify and Apple alone. Podcast ad revenue hit the $650 million mark last year in the U.S. alone, and that number is projected to grow If you're interested in podcasting or thinking about starting a podcast, you will find value in today's conversation with Fatima Zaidi, who is the co-founder and CEO of Quill, the world's one-stop marketplace and agency dedicated solely to podcasters and brands interested in launching a show. In this one, we discuss key industry stats like listener engagement, CPM rates, and other major trends. We also chat about the M&A activity in this space, including Spotify's acquisition of Gimlet and Anchor as well as the company's more recent splash, acquiring the Joe Rogan experience and what this all means. We also discussed challenges related to monetizing a show, as well as some unique strategies and tactics to generate ROI, and way more. So with that intro out of the way, let's get right to the show. Here is Fatima Zaidi. I think the last time we spoke, you were building Quill And now the company is scaling and you were just mentioning you've got a team in the U.S. So just give me an overview of um, the company's mission, why you guys exist, who you serve, and what the scope of the company looks like today.
1: Mm -hmm. Well... I ran an agency for quite a few years, and I think one of the biggest requests that I started seeing towards the end with corporate and enterprise teams is that they were moving really aggressively into the podcasting space. And I found podcasting to be a really interesting medium, especially for me because I've been a consumer since 2014, which is the launch of Serial. And I found that as a medium of marketing, it was so different from everything else that I was dabbling with. For example, performance marketing is definitely a mass targeted play and started really thinking about what the benefits of creating a podcast would be. I know Midroll did a study recently where they interviewed millions of podcast consumers like myself, and they found that 61% of the people they interviewed product purchased a product or service after listening to a show. So this was um, probably the last couple of years when I started sort of thinking about podcasting as a marketing and sales tool. And then, you know, and at this point, it was, you know, still, I would say people thought it could potentially be a fad that may not be here to stay Eventually, I decided to sort of take a risk and productize our services and launched Quill, which is the world's first marketplace and agency for uh, brands and indie podcasters looking to move into podcasting. I truly believe that in the 1980s, every company had a phone number for their business In the 90s, it was a website. In the 2000s, it was social media. And I think in the next five to 10 years, every company will either have a podcast or be advertising on one. I think everyone who has started podcasting right now or even better, a couple of years ago, they're ahead of the hype cycle. They're early in the hype cycle, which means that they're going to be influencers, just like in 2007, if you were the first person on Twitter, uh, by default, you're an influencer today. I think it's going to be the same thing when it comes to people creating podcasts.
0: Yeah, and we've seen that. So I think Tim Ferriss was circa 2013 or 2014, something like <laughs> yeah. that. I don't know when Joe Rogan was. Was Joe Rogan before or after Tim Ferriss?
1: Uh, I believe Joe Rogan was before Tim Ferriss. Um, another one that's been doing it for a really long time is Sam Harris. I think the the... The show that really blew it up, blew the industry up and made it become a household name, I think it was truly a serial in 2014. But podcasting has been a medium that a lot of influencers have been sort of dabbling in for many years, like, you know, Tim Ferriss and and Joe Rogan. But I think it truly only became a household name in 2014.
0: Do you think companies uh, of a certain size or profile are coming at this too late in the game?
1: Well, you know, I get asked this question a lot um, by brands who are looking to move into this space. They ask me, one of the most, like I would say, common questions that I get is, is it a saturated industry? Are we late to the party? And, you know, let's compare podcasting numbers with some other forms of content that we are exploring today. So 1.5 million podcasts is a number on Spotify today. There's 600 plus million blogs. 1.5 billion websites, 30 million YouTube channels with 500 hours of content being uploaded every minute. And so when you take podcasting as a medium, we're still in its absolute infancy. I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface of even getting close to saturated when we're comparing it to other ways that people release and distribute content. And so I think brands still have an opportunity to really make their mark. Uh, there's, you know, no one really monopolizing various industries across the world. And the cool thing about podcasting is you have the opportunity to reach a global audience. So it's not hyper geographically situated, or you know, you're not confined by the barriers of, of geography. And so I definitely think brands need to start thinking about it sooner rather than later. And everyone's goals can be different. I mean, we work with clients. Who are interested in thought leadership and brand awareness. Some clients use podcasts as a sales tool, which I think is so smart because I've been tracking the results for that and the results have been pretty incredible. But yeah, everyone's goal is, I would say, different across the board, but um, we're definitely at the beginning of the hype cycle.
0: In 2008, just 9% of people were listening to a podcast on a monthly basis. We're now, I believe, at a point where active listenership in North America is approaching 40%. Is that what you're seeing in terms of listenership?
1: Definitely, definitely. And it's just such a ripe market, too, because typically podcast listeners are affluent, educated millennial professionals that account for 80 percent of the workforce today with purchasing power. And so, you know, where else, what other medium are you almost guaranteed to reach this very specific demographic? And when it comes to podcast advertising, you can get pretty granular with how you target people. And so again, I always bring it back to as a marketing tactic because we work very closely with brands in-house and I've just seen so much success in ROI in creating a show.
0: What about COVID? So most of us are working remotely and we've cut down or completely removed our commute. We've stopped going to the gym. Uh, These are places where podcasts are typically consumed, or at least you know, two of many places. So have you seen COVID be a hindrance to the industry, or has it been a bellwether to some extent?
1: Mm-hmm. Great questions. When we first went into lockdown, which was back in March, uh, I was pretty concerned about just how it was going to impact the industry, At least from a business standpoint, because I knew that a lot of people were going to have less budgets to create shows, brands, especially were putting contracts on hold. But actually, what we've seen happen to the industry is the opposite. I think covid has further solidified podcasting as a mainstream industry and i think it's also further compounded the fact that people are now our marketing teams are starting to reimagine where their dollars are going to be spent when things like events are on hold and video shoots and all of these tactics that required in-person offline tactic relationships and touch points now they have to think about how are they going to keep in touch with their customers and their employees and their teams and so podcasting, I think, is uh, is the default that everyone has sort of been falling to. And I have definitely seen it from the amount of inbound inquiries that we've been getting. It's it's brands mostly taking their marketing budgets and, and not knowing what to do with it. So they're like, we may as well try a podcast. And then once they try it, 90% of our customers come back to renew.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And apparently, these advertising dollars are dollars well spent and the ROI is certainly there because the listener who is consuming the podcast is very engaged, typically way more engaged in these other forms of media like radio, TV, uh, even internet banner ads and things like that. CPM rates are higher than I think uh, any other social media channel, at least at this point. So are you seeing ad dollars shift in this way at a speed that is perhaps surprising to you?
1: Definitely, especially when it comes to ad dollars in terms of sponsoring other podcast ad slots, mid-roll, pre-roll ads, or uh, investing in Spotify advertising. Look, I think just in general, a lot of ad dollars are being spent to spike audience growth. And I think the the cool thing about podcasting is you can, like I mentioned earlier, get very granular with targeting. They're very warm leads. You can target people who are already in Spotify, listening to podcasts, and then further You know, break it down by geographic location, age demographic, as well as what other shows are they listening to. And so, you know, when you get to that kind of level of granularity, you can get very, very specific about who you want to target. And so, I think for brands, the ROI is kind of a no brainer.
0: Sidebar, just looking up the CPM rates by platform in 2019 Twitter, CPM just over five, LinkedIn, similar, just over five. Instagram closer to seven, YouTube closer to eight nine dollars, Facebook approaching ten dollars, a podcast thirty second spot north of fifteen dollars, and yep. a podcast with a sixty second uh, assuming pre roll spot closer to twenty five dollars. So pretty remarkable.
1: I think it's incredible. It's a really exciting time for anyone who's in this industry, and I think it was a huge risk. I think before the pandemic, I you know I. Still had people asking me, "Is this an industry that's sort of a fad, you know, that's going to fizzle out?" And for me, I think now it's not a question or a matter of if you should be starting a podcast, but when.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And you mentioned Spotify and also the idea of solidifying podcasts as a mainstream industry. In 2019, they bought two big networks, both Gamlet, uh, sorry, Gimlet and Anchor, for just shy of 340 million bucks. Um, That was an important story, I think, for lots of reasons, one of which is that this sort of uh, signified that Spotify, which has historically been thought of as, quote, like a music streaming platform, was now representative of a much broader shift into audio uh, as a whole. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that story? Did it help raise awareness for what you were building at Quill, uh, help sell your value prop in any way?
1: think so. I think it was the first major acquisition that was done in our industry. And I mean, if we followed the trend since then, there's been a lot more Pineapple Street, Simplecast, Stitcher, um, Midroll. There's been so many that have sort of followed suit after that one Gimlet purchase. But I would say that um, I think if anything, it sort of helped solidify that there is a lot of revenue to be made in this industry and that brands are getting a lot of value out of creating shows. And so um, I think for a lot of the smaller players in the industry, it's almost been a little bit of an inspiration to think about where we'd want to see our companies in four to five years. And now we actually have a a legitimate example to look up to. Now we've, we've seen an acquisition happen right before our eyes and, you know, Gimlet has some really, really, really great shows, but not everyone has Gimlet production budgets. And so I think they're was an opportunity for some a company like Quill to step in and say, okay, if you have the New York Times, Gimlet, Pacific Content Budgets, and those are the teams that you should be working with, but if you are a brand uh, that has an experimental marketing budget and aren't sure if bar- podcasting is for you, uh, come work with a company like Quill. You know, you, We're not charging the you know, $100,000 in episode budgets, but we'll still help you create a really great show and put out good content to be able to test this avenue. Having success stories like Gimlet um, and Spotify acquiring all of these other organizations has sort of been uh, a benchmark for us to sort of look up to and, and be like, okay, we, we are going to play in a completely different niche, but it is possible for major moves to happen in industry as small as podcasting. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer and emotional intelligence coach and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast. As me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electric
0: Est. Electric Est. Sirius actually is the one that purchased Stitcher for those that are interested, I think earlier this year for $325 million. not to mention Joe Rogan, right? He yeah. sold to Spotify for $100 million or something like that.
1: Yes, yes.
0: What about your clients? So you mentioned uh, you know the, the small business offering, which is the marketplace, and then of course, agency for bigger brands. Um, what are the biggest problems that your targets are faced with or coming to you to solve?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good question. I would say there's a couple of sort of areas that we really shine where I'm seeing a lot of requests. We're um we're known as an agency now. I think we've been working with so many brands across North America. Um, and Word sort of travels really fast in an industry. You know, you listen to one podcast, you reach out to their marketing team, ask them who created it, and then you know, there's a few players in the space. And so uh, one thing that I'm finding that a lot of brands are coming to us for is the audience growth component. I think a lot of agencies can create and produce a really good show, but very few companies or agencies are focusing on the marketing piece of it. And I always say creating a good podcast is 50% of the work. The other 50% of the work is actually like really getting very granular with the ROI and metrics of marketing and seeing what your audience growth is is looking like. And so that's the area that we really shine. I mean, you know, right off the bat I can tell you Spotify Ad Studio launched their console about a year and a half ago and we were one of the first teams who started using it for our clients to do their podcast audience growth. And we've become really great at high conversion rates. Like I mentioned for every 100 dollars in ad spend, we get about 80 clicks. To listens to our ad, and that translates into at least 40 to 50 listeners. So the ratio and the and the CTR has been incredible. And the cool thing about Spotify Ad Studio is we actually have a partnership with them now where we're working alongside them to help provide feedback on their product and what it where we would like it to be. So that long-term quill can automate the way that we do Spotify advertising.
0: Speaking of monetization and trends, to date, podcasts i would say have been under monetized there are challenges still for podcasters hoping for direct roi what do you think uh, i mean you mentioned a couple of of things spotify ad studio is one of those things but what do you think are the biggest low-hanging opportunities here for podcasters who want that direct roi
1: i would say right off the bat um if you are looking to monetize on your show consider a few different um Ways You want to create a a one pager with obviously all of your metrics, but the most important thing to focus on is your demographic. Podcasting isn't about mass number of downloads. Of course, that helps, but it's more about how engaged and niche your audience is. And I think brands are finally starting to catch on to that. You know, if you want to mass target people, then performance marketing is the way to go. Google, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn ads. But if you're looking to reach hyper-focused, engaged audiences, um, then podcasting is the way to go. So really focusing on that when you're creating your sponsorship one-pagers. Unfortunately, right now, it's also very much who you know in the industry. There's no streamlined way. I know there's companies like LaunchPod and Podcorn. Um, that are like dabbling in if you're looking to monetize a show where they'll maybe connect you. The problem I'm also finding is most podcast advertising companies won't even look at your show unless you have either $10,000 of ad spend to to put down, or you have like a crazy amount of listeners, which just unfortunately weeds out most of the shows out there.
0: The attribution problem, right? Like typically Uh you attach some sort of call to action or promotional code you know, either in the show notes or perhaps that's read in a pre-roll or in a mid-roll or outro spot, whatever. But that call to action hasn't really told the entire story because as we've discussed before, a lot of people are listening to podcasts in their car or at the gym. They don't Uh have a a, a pen and paper with them. They're not able to take down that CTA. And so brands are you know running the other direction because they're saying no this is not a platform that provides direct ROI we can't really track it or whatever but yet the data says otherwise
1: yeah exactly i mean npr recently released an article where they said that a brand, like a, a person who's listening to a podcast needs at least 30 touch points before they decide to convert or engage with a, a product or a service and so if you are you know, promoting a product 30 times until the point of transaction, why shouldn't you be compensated for all of the legwork and the time that you have spent providing brand awareness until that conversion? That's why I'm very big on a hybrid approach where if you are working with brands or sponsors, it should typically be a flat fee upfront for all of the uh, upwork and legwork that you're going to be doing. And then, for sure, part of it can also be commission-based where every time there's a sale, uh, you get you get a commission or a cut from that. And to your point, I mean, people are listening to podcasts while they're actively engaged in another activity. And so we may come back and revisit that product or service. But we may not remember to use the code or click on the link that you provided.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you see an opportunity for... E commerce or shopping here? Like, is there some sort of symmetry between what's happening in the world of audio and podcasting and e commerce?
1: I think so. I mean, I think that eventually the two are going to be married together. Essentially, it's like you're listening to a show and then you can. Um, swipe up in your app and it'll take you directly to the product of the episode or product of the week or product of the show or whatever it is that they're trying to promote. But truthfully speaking, when it comes to podcasting, I think the the cool thing about shows and what people enjoy is the non-promotional aspect. Whenever I'm listening to ads on podcasts, unless they're extremely well done, I find that it sounds very much like a radio ad, which will lead to disengagement. Mm -hmm. And so... Typically, I would say the best way to promote your product or service or a company on a podcast is to either have the host very organically work it into the content or just to do it in a very subtle way.
0: What are some of the larger trends that you're seeing that you think, generally speaking, people are overlooking in this space? Like What lies ahead in the next two to three years?
1: Um. Well, I think because it's such a new category, like even just taking parts of your experimental marketing budgets and putting it towards testing or trying a project uh, or podcast, I think it's a little bit of a myth when people think that podcasting is extremely expensive and you have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to create a really good show. Um, And so I would say if you're a brand or a content team or even an indie podcaster and you're just unsure of what that could look like, um, just get started, get started somewhere. And you know, like I mentioned earlier, think about The fact that back in the early 2000s, social media was um, sort of a tactic that everyone thought was a fad, and eventually everyone adopted it and it sort of exponentially accelerated. And that's exactly what's happening right now. The data and stats don't lie. Mm -hmm. I think the future of podcasting is definitely where the ad dollars and advertising is going to be. So try to really focus on having a niche for yourself. Um, You can't be the next Martha Stewart, there's already one. You can't be the next Guy Raz, there's already one. So What area can you step in to really make a difference and then really make sure that you create an engaged audience? It's all about how engaged your community is with you and your show.
0: Have there been challenges specifically that you've run into being the face of the company as a female? Like, (laughs) how has that been? I know there's been some challenges that are widely publicized right around um, Mm -hmm. percentage of companies, early stage companies that have been funded. Uh, that are led by a female founder, um, the venture landscape in general has come under a lot of criticism in this regard. Have mm-hmm. you had some experience with this?
1: Right off the bat, I can tell you my business partner for Coil is a, a, a white male American. And you know, I'm the CEO. This is my company. He's very much a support function to the business. But still, I find that oftentimes when we're at the cap table with VCs or we're in a room full of, you know, middle-aged white men, the, I have to, you know, I think they instantly look towards sometimes, sometimes they instantly look towards Jay for that credibility. And of course, once the conversations start, I think it becomes very clear. Um, but I think it's just a little bit, it's still ridiculous that in the 21st century, we have to come to the table so over prepared with no margin of error because, We are underrepresented. And oftentimes people ask me, do you ever feel the imposter syndrome? And I'm like, no, I don't have the opportunity because I'm so overprepared all the time, knowing that I have to work 10 times harder than the person next to me to to prove myself. And, you know, I would say for the most part, I'm like a huge advocate of myself. I find a lot of times women in my network do a really great job of branding their clients and their companies, but they often fail to take control of their own personal branding careers. And uh, the system itself is extremely flawed, but we can counteract a lot of that for advocating for ourselves. So I think a lot of the challenges that we face are typically curved when you put up your hand, take credit for your ideas and are unapologetic about the value that you bring to the table. But... The stats aren't going to lie. I mean, the average deal size last year for a female led company was 5 million. The average deal size for a male led company was 12 million. You know, look at how many black female founders r- raised capital, it was 0.001%. And, you know, black female founders are the fastest growing population of entrepreneurs, yet, VCs and angel offices and investors still claim that they can't find minority founders to invest in because they're clearly not looking hard enough. Either we're in the other category where we're filling some minimal diversity quota, or we lose the opportunity to someone who looks more the part. And so I find that female founders, especially those that are underrepresented, are some of the scrappiest, creative hustlers I know, because we have to be.
0: Well said. And you hit on a lot of important points. Personal question. You were also on a panel. If I'm correct with Beyonce's dad,
1: <laughs> yes, I was. That is the highlight of my sales career. I was on a <laughs> panel panel with Matthew Knowles. It was really funny, too, because I actually have this this mug uh, with Beyonce engraved in it. This mug that I like walked into this panel with, I sat down and it was sitting next to me. And he said, Oh, that, that you know, that's my daughter's name. And I said, Oh, you named your daughter after Beyonce? That sounds like something I would do. And he's like, Nope, Beyonce is my daughter. And that is the highlight of my entire sales career.
0: Um, what year was that? Uh,
1: this was three years ago. Uh yeah, it was a panel, um, a creative industries panel three years ago.
0: What lies ahead for you? I mean, do you think that? Quill is going to be a five to 10 year company. Do you hope to be acquired by a strategic or a private equity firm or something of that nature? Or are you in this for the long haul?
1: Um, that's a good question. I I would say that, you know, we've done our forecasting, our sales projections and our planning for the next four to five years. And if we can hit our targets, which we're definitely on track to do for year one, which are very aggressive targets. I would say that we would be very well positioned in four years for an acquisition. Um, And of course, an acquisition is never off the table. For me, it's just about providing as much value as we can to the industry in the meantime. And if the opportunity presents itself in timing, sort of aligns, then absolutely, I would be open to it. I would say for the foreseeable future, I'm really focused on building out the tech side of our business, solving a lot of the pain points in the industry. There's quite a few. It's still a very new industry with a lot of opportunities for growth. And really what we're trying to do is make podcasting a household name.
0: Caffeine and Quill go nicely <laughs> together. Quillit.io for more info on Quill. And Fatima, where else can people connect with you?
1: Honestly, if you just Google my name, I will come up. It's very easy to find me. I'm very accessible. LinkedIn. Uh, my handle is dda Fatima across the board, uh, or feel free to reach out to me through our website.
0: So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric ass. Electric ass.